Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, guys. It's good to be here. I'm glad. To, I think this is the last kind of spring break affected church service. <laughs> spring break. Woo. All right. Um, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the pastor here, and uh, we're continuing our series. We've called it Surviving Egypt, and it's about the life of Joseph. But before I get into that, I want to let you know about some exciting news. If you go on to your Android phone, to the Google Play Store, or if you go to the App Store on your iPhone, you can now search for Grace Life Sarasota, and it will come up, and our app is now launched. So you can download that, but... If you try to search and download it during my sermon, it will be a virus. We've already worked that out. <clears throat> You'll have to wait till after the service to download that. But please do. And when it asks you to allow for notification, we're not tracking to see if you're sinful. That's not what that's about. It's so that when necessary, we can give you notifications about what's going on in our church. I'm excited about that ability to communicate. Because we're a church that's mobile... Uh, we don't have one specific place we meet. This app is going to really help bind us together. We're, getting, we're exploring some really cool ideas of how to use it going forward. So make sure if you have a smartphone, please download that app at 1131 today. Well, yes. Yes, very good. Um, so this week, the Surviving Egypt series, Surviving in Egypt series, The Life of Joseph, I've titled this Intro to Grace. If you remember... The first four weeks of this series, I titled it Intro to Dysfunction. And we talked about the dysfunction of Joseph's family, our own families, and frankly, all of humanity. <clears throat> and uh, it was quite fun, wasn't it? Talking about dysfunction and <clears throat> making our own list and realizing just how dysfunctional we all are. But the good news is this next series of messages is not about dysfunction. While we're dealing with the residue of dysfunction from Joseph's family, what we're going to be talking about the next several weeks is about God's grace in the lives of those he loves, even while they're dysfunctional. Because frankly, many people live paralyzed in fear, anxiety, or guilt for years because of a focus on both circumstances that we see and those we don't see because we have memories of our dysfunction or our weaknesses or our frailties. We carry guilt over dysfunction, inconsistency and sinfulness and we become prisoners to that. How do we escape this trap of dysfunction that paralyzes us, that keeps us from not only living our lives but from serving God? How do we overcome the emotional psychological burden of it. The only respite, frankly, is an understanding of the power of grace, its impacts, and in addition, learning how to recognize grace even in the midst of our dysfunction. This is what we will be doing for the next several weeks in this portion of our Surviving in Egypt Series. So today's passage is from Genesis 39. <clears throat> we skip 38, and I'll explain that in a little bit, but Genesis 39, verses 1 through 6. This is after Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers and, frankly, by his cousins. Uh, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, 
And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites. You know who the Ishmaelites were, the sons of, the descendants of Ishmael, Abraham's first son. So notice that. This is all part of Jacob's family who had brought him down there. The Lord, though, was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master, this general. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in, the, in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian general's house. Why? For Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. <clears throat> so this is Joseph after he has been sold into slavery by his brothers. And what we see here is the scripture says the Lord was with him. <clears throat> I want to explore the historical aspect of that passage. What about man? What's going on? What did he do and why and how did he do it? I want you to see Joseph is really at rock bottom here at first, right? I mean, it really can't get much worse. He is betrayed by every corner of his family. His brothers sell him to the Midianites. You know who the Midianites were? The Midianites were, an, the Midian was another son of Abraham, his great-grandfather. And so they sell him to his second cousins. And they, in turn, the Midianites, sell him to his other second cousins, the Ishmaelites. That was Ishmael, the first son of their great-grandfather Abraham, with his handmaiden Hagar. So you see everything. It's the brothers, it's the cousins, it's the second cousins. Everybody is in on this. They all know that Joseph is not dead, but he's sold into slavery. Everybody knows Joseph is alive except for who? Jacob and Joseph's mother. These people, again, Jerry Springer level messed up. <laughs> and then after all that, he's, he's bought and sold by his brothers and cousins, <laughs> passing around the whole area. He is finally sold to an Egyptian general for forced manual labor. That was the idea behind it. He is far from home. He has no money of his own. He has no way to escape. And he has no way to contact his worried father. Joseph knew his, pro his father probably thought he was dead. He doesn't have access to the internet. He can't get on Facebook. He can't text him. He can't call him. He can't do anything. So from a worldly perspective, the world is screaming at Joseph's face. Joseph, your family hates you. They sold you. And now you live in the house of a pagan general. Your God has forsaken you. Your God doesn't love you. You, Joseph, are a total loser. This is what the world is screaming at him in his circumstances. So from a worldly perspective, you can see Joseph has no hope for a future. I wonder, I wonder what Joseph's devotional and prayer life was like at this time. Like, you know, when he woke up, blessed be the name of the Lord. No, he said, God, why am I a slave? Why have my family, all of them, my cousins, my brothers, they've all betrayed me. I'm in this house, this Egyptian general's house. I'm doing manual labor. God, how does this grace? 
But then something interesting happens, and I've titled this part of the historical application, Who is this guy? <clears throat> Joseph is clearly what we see in the story fold out. He's clearly a very smart, intelligent, talented man. He has excellence in everything he does. Whatever task he is given in Potiphar's house, not only does he do it well, he does abundantly and exceedingly beyond anything anybody could ask or think. And apparently, Potiphar notices this. And he says, who is this guy that keeps doing a great job? Bring him to me. And apparently they had some discussions. And Potiphar's very impressed by this guy, Joseph. Apparently, he was so impressed, Potiphar even began to have discussions about God with Joseph. And the scripture says that Potiphar realizes that God is with Joseph, and the only reason he is successful, yes, he's talented, but he is successful because his God is blessing him. It's possible that Potiphar became a believer through Joseph's testimony? Through Joseph being sold into slavery and all this other stuff, he does a great job, Potiphar recognizes him, they develop a friendship. It is almost like the general is looking at Joseph as a spiritual mentor. Potiphar gives him a position of honor, Indicating they had a very close personal friendship between the two of them. Joseph is so beloved by this Egyptian general that he is left in charge of all of Potiphar's personal and financial matters. You understand, when he's left in charge, what that kind of means is when Potiphar would go away for a battle, months at a time, and Joseph's the only one there, and he's in charge of it all. It's pretty amazing trust. Things are great. They're finally looking up for Joseph here. But it's because the Lord was with him. And God has given him specific talents needed to not only survive, but to thrive in Egypt in a horrible circumstance. So that's that part. And then the last part of the historical application, I want to talk about the benefits to Potiphar. I mean, think about this, right? Because of Joseph's evil, ridiculous, dysfunctional family, and because, frankly, of Joseph's silly arrogance and foolishness, and because of Abraham's firstborn having a, a really big, treacherous slave trade, and the Midianites, another one of Abraham's sons, having a slave trade, all of that stuff working together, Joseph is somehow, by God's sovereignty, brought to Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's house, the scripture says, thrives and flourishes. His net worth continues to increase. An Egyptian general develops a close relationship and trusts him with everything. And not only that, Potiphar has all the earthly benefits of being associated with this slave, but he also learns about Joseph's God. For Joseph's God-given talent to be used, understand what had to happen. He had to go through hell. Through Joseph hitting rock bottom, the story of who God is spreads to a very influential foreign general. Who knows what impact that had on all of Potiphar's decisions going forward? I mean, it's possible that Potiphar ran into difficulties and problems in his life as a general, and he says, hey, Joseph, what do you think about this? How should I handle that? We're going here in this battle, and this guy wants me to do this. Pharaoh said this. How do you think I should handle Pharaoh here? 
I mean, can you imagine the influence that Joseph has because he hit rock bottom and God's grace intervened? So that's the history. What about man? Let's talk about what God does. What does he do and why and how does he do it? I want to discuss this idea of undeserved favor. And it sounds sort of silly, right, to think of a guy that's sold as a slave having undeserved favor, which is another way of saying grace. Before we get to that, I want you to understand what happens in chapter 38. Judah is one of Joseph's brothers. Judah is the line of which Jesus is to be born, the one that we worship, our Savior, who died and rose again. All of that is outlined in Genesis 38. I would love for you to go back and read it on your own this week. I just didn't want to preach on it during this series. So as we go forward in this story, I want you to note something. All of this that is happening with Joseph and all of it is for one reason. It is to protect the line of Judah. All of it that takes place, what happens to Joseph in slavery and the Midianites and the Ishmaelites and Potiphar and what's going to happen later with Potiphar's wife and all this stuff, everything that takes place is because the line of Judah is where Christ is to be born and Joseph is the instrument that God uses to preserve and save and keep that line. It's God's sovereign hand at work against the schemes of Satan that's trying to destroy our salvation. Mine, yours. Jacob's sons have not exactly been paragons of righteousness. But keep this in mind. These men, this dysfunctional family of people, they make up the seed of the woman that was talked about in Genesis. Genesis 3.15, after the fall of Adam and Eve, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And behold, your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that's a prophecy of the battle between evil and good and Christ and the enemy. And this is all related to that promise in Genesis 3.15. This whole story is related and affecting us today. So let's talk about the spiritual. I want to talk about God's hand in this story. Joseph is a smart person. We see that. He's got a good work ethic. Who made him that way? You see... Here's what happens, though, when we look at that story. It is not Joseph's greatness that is to be glorified in this story about Potiphar's house. It is the fact that it's a manifestation of God's grace working despite the fact that there is a bitter, angry Joseph who can't believe his family did this to him. God is not working because of Joseph. He's working in spite of him. Who was the only one that knew where Joseph would end up? And who was the only one that knew the type of talent Joseph would need to survive, not just survive Egypt, but thrive? God equipped Joseph with all that he needed to do God's will. Talent good enough, later on we find out, to run a whole country. The strongest empire in the world at the time, as a matter of fact. But it's not just about the way God made Joseph. It's also about the fact that God's presence is with Joseph. Joseph didn't deserve God's presence, but the passage we read today said the Lord was with him. In fact, think about this now. I'm going to blow you away. God handpicks Potiphar as the man who would purchase Joseph. And then allowed Potiphar to be blessed by Joseph's face. Think about this. God's hand is so undeniable that even His pagan master, Potiphar, can see the blessing on his life because of Joseph's God. No other Egyptian general could be the one that Joseph was bought by to have this impact. It had to be Potiphar. 
God's hand, here's what's so great. God's hand is spoiling the plans of the enemy to destroy Jacob's family. There's a quote from a guy named John Chrysostom. He says, grace from on high stood by him and smothered all his difficulties. That's a great, no, you know, that's not John Chrysostom. That's Joe Davis. Joe Davis said, (laughs) just kidding. I would love to take credit for that one. So that's God's hand. Then I want to talk about our feet. So do you think Joseph's life was going to according to his plan? I mean, do you think that being sold into slavery by his brothers and cousins was part of his five-year plan of success? I have it mapped out perfectly. Yes, I'm going to be in a ditch, but I know they're going to pull They're going to sell. I'm going to end up at Potter. It's a part of my plan. Do you think he dreamed of one day befriending and ministering to and witnessing to an Egyptian general? Do you think he one day he thought one day my goal in life is to leave my family because of slavery and oversee an Egyptian general's money? That's my plan. You know what this is? This is the epitome. I call this section our feet. It is the epitome of my favorite verse in the New Testament. Many of you know what it is. It's in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I'm just going to read. I'll read verses 8 and 9, and then we'll see 10 on the screen. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, or else you'd brag. And then look at this part. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I've shared with you many times, the translation can actually say good works he prepared beforehand that we trip over. He just throws them in our path. This work of Joseph in Potiphar's house, this is a good work that God prepared beforehand that Joseph did not plan for. He just tripped over it. God takes people like Joseph, equips them and prepares them for good works all the time, which brings me to his will. Paul writes in Hebrews, it's a great verse, uh, Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. Look what he says. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He doesn't just prepare the works beforehand. You know what else he prepares beforehand? You to do the work. He gives you the specific skills, the specific talent, the specific life experiences, the specific emotional makeup, the specific abilities to be able to not only trip over the works, but be successful in them when they come about. And it's all for what? His will, his desire to do something with and through his people to benefit his church. That's the theological side of what happens in Joseph's story. Now let's talk about the fun part. Let's talk about the personal. What about me? What about you? What are we supposed to do and why and how do we do it? I want to talk about identifying grace in Egypt. As you guys know, I've shared with you that Egypt is a picture of a symbol of the world we live in, the fallen world. This was our uh, social media campaign this week. Learn to spot and celebrate the moments when God's grace intrudes on depravity's effects. Listen, we are surrounded by depravity's effects. Many of it, many of those effects are our own depravity, our own family dysfunction. 
There's a lot going on. But what happens, this is what grace is. Grace is undeserved favor when grace somehow intrudes in and, and disrupts the normal path that would take place if dysfunction were allowed to run rampant. And that's really what happens here. And I want to begin over the next several weeks, we're going to learn to identify grace in Egypt. So let's talk about some of the personal stuff. I want to first talk about being distracted by circumstances. What keeps you, us, from seeing grace at work in our lives? See, it is really hard for us to identify grace when all of our attention is on the world around us, both the good things that we experience in the world and the bad things. And our natural human tendency is to focus on either, in this story, like for example, we focus on Joseph's tragedy or we marvel at how successful he became. Frankly, that's what we do in our own lives. It's a focus on earthly circumstances, not how God's hand manifested his grace through these things. Living life with both eyes always on the here and now is like having blinders that keep you from seeing God's grace at work. And this is tough. You know why this is tough? Because the world is really loud and obnoxious. It is. Like it's really loud and obnoxious about when you're successful. Look what you've accomplished. That's all you can see is your fame and your success and what you did really well. Or it's really loud. Look how crappy you are. And the world is always on 10. It's always turned up. It's on a loudspeaker. It's always right in your face saying, look at me. Don't look anywhere else. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And we are distracted by these circumstances, both the good ones and the bad ones. <clears throat> but 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, Paul writes, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, or in other words, temporary. But the things that are unseen, those are eternal. This is the perspective that we need to have. We need to have eyes for the eternal. Frankly, this is the only way to identify grace. It's by understanding all of its eternal benefits. We have to somehow figure out a way to turn the volume down of the world, both its good and its bad, so that we can see What's going on around us when it comes to God's grace? Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says this, Set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Those are both good and bad things. See, identifying grace in the temporary world through eyes of eternity is a God-given gift and a God-given skill. Let me just give an example of using today's story. Without God's favor on Joseph and Potiphar, there would be no line of Judah. Joseph would not have been in a position later on to save a country from famine, and Jacob's family would be dead. And if there's no line of Judah, guess what else there is? There's no line of Jesus. And if there's no Jesus, there's no salvation. 
There's no salvation, there's no church, there's no church, there's no grace life, and I don't know any of you. How blessed are we that God shows grace to us when he gave Joseph favor in Potiphar's house. See, we want to look at that story as, oh, that's a great story. No, that story is about you and me. That story is about the eternal echoes. We look not on things which we see, but the things we don't see. The things we see are temporary. The things we don't see are eternal. Those things that were happening at that moment in Joseph's life were a direct impact on you sitting right here today. Can you see how clearly this relationship between Joseph and Potiphar and all that brought it about is linked to our gathering here? Grace life as a church is here today because of the grace manifested through this incredible relationship of Joseph and Potiphar. You see how this story of dysfunction and fear and treachery and suffering and slavery becomes an example of grace that echoes forever? Ephesians 3.11, same chapter, same concept. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Church, eyes that see and trust God's eternal will and purposes are a result of one thing. It is the gift of faith. It's through that eternal vision, that, that ability to see past our own life. It's, it's this eternal vision that we see God's grace in our life in good times and in bad, in suffering and in succeeding, in winning and in losing, and yes, even in living and dying. So over the next several weeks, this today was kind of an introductory message to understand where the shift now we've been studying dysfunction for four weeks and now we're going to talk about grace over the next several weeks we will seek to spot the manifestations of grace in joseph's life because frankly listen this is important guys this is this is key that is the only way he was able to survive egypt because just as it is with joseph if we are going to survive Egypt, it's only going to be by grace. So clearly, it's going to be very important for us to become experts in spotting, accepting, trusting, and resting in grace. Heavenly Dad, we're so thankful for the example of how you manifested grace to Joseph. And even in this relationship, we're thankful that you chose Potiphar to be the one who bought Joseph, that you enlightened him through Joseph's testimony. And it seems that Potiphar come to know you through what you were doing in Joseph's life, even though he was at rock bottom when they met. God, we confess to you that, that anxiety, discouragement, fear, depression, but then also success 
and winning and all those things, they're way too loud in our life. And we are constantly having our attention drawn right to them. God, I pray that you would give us eyes that can look past the loud, obnoxious world around us and begin to see the echoes of grace that last forever. And for those that are here, God, that maybe don't understand this, we pray today would be their introduction to grace. That they would, for the first time, begin to say, oh, wow. It's not about church. It's about grace. It's not about religion. It's not about success. It's not about my sinfulness. It's about God's grace. And through this, Father, we can learn to begin to live as Joseph was, the grace life.